Good morning. I have entitled this morning's message, Yahweh Mekadishkim, The Lord Who Sanctifies You. Yes, I'm using my little code. <laughs> Make a dish, Kim. <laughs> um, it's not a name that we hear often. It's often shortened to Yahweh Mekadesh. So uh, either is correct, but it means the Lord who sanctifies you. This morning we are going to look at another one of God's names, a compound name, Yahweh, which is God's up close and personal name which means I am, I am self-existent, I am eternal, I am that I am. So that's what Yahweh's name actually means. And then it says, Mekadeshkim, who sanctifies you. I came from a holiness background. Now, some of you may not have any idea what that means. <laughs> but the Lord put me in a holiness church when I was, first came to the saving knowledge of Christ. And in a holiness church, holiness is emphasized. A lot. <laughs> and what I was taught was holiness is how you live your life. And so they had, of course, little invisible measuring sticks to see how holy you were. <laughs> and so I was always trying really hard to become holy. But you see what this name says? It's the Lord who sanctifies you. You don't sanctify yourself. Okay, it's a whole different ballgame. <laughs> so this morning we are going to look in Scripture where this compound name of God appears, and we're going to see how it expresses his nature and his character through his name in the Old Testament, and then we're going to look at how that translates to us, understanding the heart of the Father in the New Covenant. The word sanctifies comes from the Hebrew root word kadash, which means to be set apart, to be consecrated, to be declared as clean, to be made holy. Holy, set apart, consecrated, just means set apart. Taken from one place and dedicated to another place. It does not mean sinless. Most of us, when we think about holiness, we think about sinlessness. Sinlessness is our righteousness. <laughs> okay, that's where the sinlessness comes in. Holiness says we are set apart unto our righteousness. So we can understand this name as the one who makes us set apart, the one who consecrates me, the one who makes me holy, the one who declares me to be clean. The first mention of the word sanctify appears in Genesis chapter 2, which we're going to look at. But we're going to start reading at the end of chapter 1. Now the context of chapter 1 of Genesis is that God, through Moses, has just given us an overview of the entire creation. And then at the end of that chapter, in verse 31, it says this, And God saw everything he had made, and behold, it was very good. And evening and morning were the sixth day. Now I want you to take note here how God keeps time. He says evening and then morning were the sixth day. God starts counting the hours in the day at sundown. That's not the way we normally count hours in a day. We would usually say, I get up at five o'clock in the morning, <laughs> and I work all day, and then comes evening, and then comes rest. That's what we would call one whole day. But that's not what God said. God said the day starts at sundown. That's because God says the day should start with rest, not work. In Genesis chapter 2, starting with verse 1, it says this, Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God ended his work which he had made, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work which he had made. And God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it. This is where this is the first time the word sanctify is used. He sanctified this day because that in it he had rested from all his work which God had made. Here we see that God tells us that the seventh day is sanctified. It's set apart as different. And that's what it means. He says this is blessed and this is holy. It's sanctified. It's set apart from the other days. It's different. 
So that's another way to think about what holy means. Set apart is different. The word sanctify includes the idea of why something is sanctified. The reason it's sanctified or set apart is because it's different from the other ones that look like it. <laughs> so God says basically this day was holy unto himself. He set this day apart unto himself, and he tells us why. Because it was different. He says the reason it was different is because of the rest and the blessing. It was different in that no work was done on that day. He said not working is a good idea. <laughs> he said because the blessing empowers you to prosper. It isn't work that empowers you to prosper. It's the blessing that empowers you to prosper. To bless means it is a thing conducive to happiness or welfare. It is a gift. According to the Merriam-Webster's Dictionary, a blessing is any means of happiness. It is a gift, a benefit, or an advantage. It's that which promotes temporal prosperity and welfare or secures immortal felicity, which is just a fancy way of saying eternal happiness. <laughs> so, but it says a blessing, when God blesses something, it becomes a blessing. A blessing is that which is a gift and it promotes temporal prosperity, welfare, and happiness. That which blesses produces prosperity, welfare, and happiness. So it is a good idea to be blessed. God says his idea of blessing was a day separated unto him that empowered the recipients of this gift to prosper and be in health. Sound familiar? 3 John 1 and 2 says this, Beloved, I wish above all things that thou mayest prosper and be in health, even as thy soul prosperous. It has always been God's heart and desire for us to live in the blessing, to have wealth and prosperity. Those things are not naughty words. <laughs> Poverty is a naughty word. <laughs> Sickness is a naughty word. It doesn't come from him. It comes from the enemy. So, have you figured out why I wanted you to understand how God counts hours in a day? Why does God start in the evening as counting his hours? Well, God placed Adam in a garden when all of the work of creation was finished. God started Adam's life with a finished work. He started his life with a finished work. From the very beginning, God wanted mankind to live a life from a finished work perspective, a perspective of rest and blessing. It wasn't that God didn't have work for Adam to do. There was the task of taking dominion and spreading the boundaries of the garden all over the earth. But the work of creation was finished. God gave Adam the starter kit. He says, here's the garden. In this garden is everything you need to do what you were created to do. Take the Garden of Eden and spread it out. You've got all the fish, all the birds, all the elephants, all the giraffes, all the bushes, all the flowers, all the trees. You have everything you need to take what's here and spread it all over the world. He gave him the starter kit. He didn't have to create anything. He took what he had been given and put what he had been given to work. So Adam started his first day on the job as co-ruler of the world on the seventh day. But guess what? There wasn't anything to do on the seventh day because it was different. There was no work to do. God said, this day is different. It is set apart unto me. It is for rest and relationship. So all you got to do is hang out with me today. <laughs> That's it. That was God's idea of a Sabbath, hanging out with him, having rest and relationship. That's God's idea for how life should be today. Man needs rest and relationship with God, first and foremost, before he needs anything else. God prepares man for his own kind of work by giving him first rest 
and relationship with himself. God had finished the work of creation. And the work of creation, you could say, was the hard work. (laughs) Because it was something Adam wasn't even there to participate in. So Adam couldn't have even helped. (laughs) But God placed Adam inside the garden to keep and to protect that which God had given him. His work came out of God's work. Obviously, he was supposed to have protected the garden and his family from lying snakes who would try to steal his rest and relationship. His only real job is keeping the snakes out. (laughs) He didn't do it. (laughs) So Adam fell, and he lost his rest and his original relationship. See, that's what the snake came to steal, his rest and his original relationship. I love the picture that God paints for us here. Hindsight is 2020. We can see perfectly what was hiding in plain sight back then. This is why we don't throw away our Old Testament, because we're under a new covenant. We get to look back and recognize God's heart, God's mind, God's plans, God's purposes from the beginning have not changed. He says, I want you to live from a finished work perspective. And I want you to take everything I've deposited here for you and put that to work. That was God's original plan, and that's still his plan. The Lord tells us in the New Covenant that from before the foundations of the world, the Lamb was considered slain. God always knew he was going to provide a place of rest and relationship, even when man failed to keep the lion snakes out of the garden. The Garden of Eden is a picture of God's will for us even now in the New Covenant. God's heart and desire has not changed. God didn't change in the New Testament. He's always been a God of love, a God of rest, and a God of blessing. Now, he alone did the work of creation. Man was not invited to participate in the creation process, but he was created to enjoy the benefits of God's creation and God's presence. Likewise, we see this truth in the New Testament. God alone, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, did the work of salvation. We were not asked to participate in its creation. It's not something we had anything to do with. Man is not invited to help himself be saved. (laughs) It's just like in the beginning. God finished the work. He gave all of that benefit of that work to man, and man was supposed to put what he had been given to work for him. So it is now. God finished the work of salvation. We can't help him save us. It is something he has completed by himself. And all we do is say thank you, and we rest in the fact that it's done. And because it's done, we now have our original relationship back. God has always wanted mankind to live from a place of rest, both then and now. And he wanted us to know how to rest in our Father's goodness and kindness and generosity and his presence, especially his presence. That's what we see in the beginning. The first day, the seventh day, was all about rest and relationship. It was all about hanging out with God, naming animals. The first thing I want you to see here in Genesis is that God married the idea of something being sanctified or set apart unto himself to the idea of rest. He later called this seventh day the Sabbath. Now, he doesn't do that in Genesis. He doesn't say it's a Sabbath. He just says, this is a blessed day. (laughs) This is a good day. Look at all the really good stuff I did. Everything is wonderful and beautiful, and everything is ready for you to live and have life and life more abundantly. Praise God. He said, it's all done. I created it all for you. All you have to do is live in it. So it is now. He's done all the hard work of salvation. He wants us to rest and live in that which he has provided. Now, he doesn't call the Sabbath a Sabbath until after the Israelites come out of Egypt in the 16th chapter of Exodus. When the idea of a day of rest was completely foreign to them, They came out with a slave mentality. They had been in slavery 430 years. They didn't know what a day off was. 
Now, they understood festivals unto false gods and all of that kind of stuff. But a weekly day of rest was completely foreign to them. Like, what? <laughs> what kind of God gives you a day off? <laughs> you see, they had a slave mentality. So often, as believers, we have a slave mentality that there is no rest for me. I have to work really hard to be righteous, and I have to work really hard to be holy, and I have to work really hard at taking dominion, and I have to work really hard. Guess what? It doesn't work. <laughs> because we can't do what he's already done. He wants us to rest in the fact that what he did is a finished and complete work. What I want you to see also is that in the beginning, the Sabbath was not a law. For years and years and years, and still today, there are those who will beat you up. They will take out their really beautiful, pretty religious club, and they will beat you about the head and shoulders <laughs> if you work on the Sabbath. Or if you don't go to church on the Sabbath. Bad Christian, bad Christian, bad Christian. <laughs> but that's part of that slave mentality. Trying to make yourself righteous. Trying to make yourself right with God. Trying to make yourself holy. And it's all wrong. God says, my idea of Sabbath is this seventh day. It's not a law. It's a lifestyle. You see, God never tells us about day eight or nine or ten. It stops with seven because God's plan was that we should always live in the rest and relationship forever and ever. We were supposed to live in the Sabbath. We weren't supposed to go on to a day eight where there's lots of hard work to do. <laughs> that was never his plan. That was the cause of the lion snake. You see, and that lion snake will come to you today, and he'll tell you, oh, you are bad, you are so bad. <laughs> God does not love you, he is mad. <laughs> he is a lion snake. He's trying to rob you of your rest and relationship. Now, Adam did have work to do, and as believers, there's always work to do. But it's him working in us and through us. It's not about us presenting our works to our Father. Just as God finished creation, he has finished the work of all parts of our salvation. <laughs> he didn't do half of it, and we do with the other half. He finished it completely. Too often believers are just like the Israelites after they came out of slavery. They can't comprehend that God would want them to cease from their labors. And that by doing so, it was actually pleasing to him. A slave mentality says, I have to please my master. I have to please my master. I have to work hard. But if the master says, no, what would really make me happy? Take a day off. Rest. Stop. Sit down. Have a cup of coffee. Let's chat for a while. <laughs> Let's spend some time together. Let's name some animals. Let's do something creative. When work was to be done, it came out of creativity, not out of necessity. Now, we do still have the work of taking dominion and bringing heaven to earth and preaching the good news that God was indeed in Christ reconciling the world back to himself through the cross and that the work of salvation is a gift and a relationship, just like in the beginning. Now, I want you to think about that as we look at the context of Yahweh, Nikodishkim. I have the same scripture for you from three different translations. This is where the compound name of God shows up, Exodus 31 and 13. The New American Standard says it this way. This is God speaking to Moses. But as for you, speak to the sons of Israel, saying, You shall surely observe my Sabbaths, for this is a sign between me and you, throughout your generations, that you may know, I am the Lord who sanctifies you. I am the Lord who sanctifies you. And that's actually just the two words, Yahweh, 
Nekadeshkim. In the Holman Christian Standard, it says it this way. Tell the Israelites, you must observe my Sabbaths, for it is a sign between me and you throughout your generations, so that you will know that I am Yahweh who sets you apart. And then the New Living Translation says it this way. Tell the people of Israel, be careful to keep my Sabbath, for the Sabbath is a sign of the covenant between me and you from generation to generation. It is given you so that you may know that I am the Lord who makes you holy. Here we have, we see it, the different translations. Each translation trying to convey the essence of what this word means. Sanctifies, sets you apart, makes you holy. All three words mean exactly the same thing. That you're different and you're set apart unto him. The word sign here, when I saw this, is actually the Hebrew word oath. O-T-H, which is kind of a <laughs> kind of a neat thing because in, in English it would be O-A-T-H and it really has the same kind of connotation. It actually is defined as a signal, a flag, a beacon, a monument, an omen, a mark, a miracle, a sign, or a token. Those are all the ways it can be translated. But when I saw the word token, something clicked for me. I remember from years ago studying covenants that in the covenant of marriage, the wedding ring, the engagement ring, these are tokens. These are signs. Okay? This is a token, a sign that I am set apart unto one person. That's the idea here. God said the Sabbath is your wedding ring. It's a sign of my love, my faithfulness, and my commitment to you. And when you keep the Sabbath, it is your sign that you are faithful and loving to me. You have fidelity. And so he says that's why it was so important for them to have this sign. It was the ring, if you will, of the relationship. And it signified to the rest of the world that they were set apart unto one God. During that time, this was unheard of because there was a God for everything. <laughs> and they were all mean and nasty because they were all demonic. They didn't know that then. But the idea of having one God who was good and faithful, it didn't make sense to them. You see, the human heart knows <laughs> it falls short of perfection. So we have this thing in us that says, when I do bad, I should be spanked. <laughs> and it's really easy to see it in other people when they need to be spanked. <laughs> <laughs> but the truth is we do it to ourselves too when we fall short we think if I were spanked I would be better in fact I had a friend once tell me you know if God would just spank the living daylights out of me I could probably do this Christian thing a lot better and it's like you don't understand who you are you don't understand how good your father is you don't understand that this relationship is based on his faithfulness and fidelity and not yours it was something that she needed to learn. God's not interested in beating the living daylights out of us. But you know why he, he's not? He knows it doesn't work. <laughs> it doesn't work. Even if he beat us up, we wouldn't be holy. We wouldn't be righteous. We wouldn't be sanctified. We wouldn't. Why? Because it's not about what we do. It's about who we are. Who I am. You see, he didn't have that option with Israelites. He couldn't change their heart. And so part of their covenant became the blessing and the cursing. So that it was the cursing that came upon them that was the spanking. No, get back over where you belong. No, get back over here where it's safe. No, stop doing that. <laughs> Did it change their heart? Never. <laughs> it would help them repent for a short time to get in line with God's will. But it never changed their heart. That's why God's not interested in spanking us. He's interested in loving us into the truth. Israel was set apart unto the one and only true and living God, Yahweh, Mekadeshkim. And that's when he told them, that's my name now. You can know me under this name too, Yahweh Mekadeshkim. I'm the one who sets you apart. I'm the one that calls you unto myself. I'm the one that chooses you as a bride. I'm the one who has done this. I looked on the internet to see if there were ever any pagan gods 
in the history of pagan gods who gave their people a weekly day of rest? And the answer is no. Not ever. In all the history of paganism, all the different kinds of false gods, none of the false gods ever had their worshippers' heart and mind. They were ordained festivals that usually had to do with the constellations, you know, the phases of the moon. There were demanded festivals, demanded celebrations, but there was never any other people group who had a god who said, this is my sign between you and me. I want you to have a day of rest and relationship every week. He was the only one. And see, and here he shows, it shows us God's heart. He's not demanding something from them. He's trying to give something to them. Rest is a gift. So the Sabbath was a sign that they were different, set apart, holy from the world, and that they were set apart unto a God who was altogether different than all other gods. The Israelites were set apart unto Yahweh like a bride is set apart unto her husband. She is now covenanted to her husband. And now that she's covenanted to her husband, she's supposed to trust him. You see, that's part of it. You're my husband now. Now what does a husband do? He takes care of you and he protects you and he provides for you. Husbands have a lot of stuff they have to do. (laughs) And Yahweh says, I will be a good husband to you. I will protect you and provide for you and bless you and make you prosperous and make you healthy. Everything in the covenant was all about their having everything that they need. He wanted to restore to them the original concept of a day of rest and relationship. His idea of being sanctified. Now, there was a very stiff penalty for breaking the Sabbath. And what it was? Death. That's a pretty stiff. <laughs> That's a pretty stiff penalty. But why? You see, he already told them, look, this is a sign of my covenant love for you. This is a sign of my fidelity to you. So if you break the covenant by saying, I'm not going to trust you to take care of me, I have to go out and work hard for myself. I don't trust you. You become unfaithful. Okay? And so that was the picture he was trying to paint that God is always faithful. But since they're under this particular kind of covenant, which is not our covenant, (laughs) not our covenant, we're just looking at the pictures, (laughs) okay, that that was infidelity, that was adultery, that was trusting other gods, going after other lovers. So he painted this picture for them. All you got to do is rest in relationship with me, and I'll take care of everything. Stop running after other lovers, other gods. So, a Sabbath, a day of all rest and no work, was a gift. It was a token. It was a wedding ring. It was the visible evidence of God's covenant of goodness and kindness and faithfulness. And Israel was expected to trust her covenant partner, to trust God as her husband. So, is the Old Testament Sabbath, the way God sanctifies us today? I should see lots of heads going like this. No, 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 no. (laughs) No, it's not. (laughs) Sabbath keeping is not a condition in the new covenant. Colossians 2, 16 and 17 says this. Let no man therefore judge you in meat or in drink or in respect to a feast day or a new moon or a Sabbath day which are a shadow of things to come, but the body is Christ's. These were pictures. These were shadows of the real substance, the body of Christ. It was the the concept that God started in the beginning. This is the Sabbath day. It's me and you having a relationship, me providing for you, me protecting you, me taking... This is what my desire and heart for you is. All this other stuff is because you won't let me. (laughs) that's what it came down to God said I want to make you a nation of priests does that sound familiar yeah and and you know what Israel said no thank you Uh, you talk to Moses and Moses will talk to us we don't want that kind of relationship with you you're too scary (laughs) 
And so God gave them the covenant they were comfortable with, the covenant of blessings and cursings. The covenant of rest is a whole lot better. So does that mean we stop going to church? <laughs> Good answer. <laughs> this idea, though, sometimes when people come into the message of grace and they realize, oh, it's a message of rest and relationship, there's no demand on me to go to church. And so they don't. But they're missing the point. What was the point? Rest and relationship. God had a bigger idea. You see, I can have a relationship with God at home, but he says he has a body that he wants me to have a relationship with. That in the body there is an abundance I don't have on my own. And so that's what, for us, coming to church is about. It is not about a demand. It's not about an obligation. It's about an opportunity. It is an opportunity to hear him, to experience him, to let the body minister to the body. That's his idea of what going to church would be. 1 Corinthians 10.31 says this, Whether therefore ye eat or drink, whatever ye do, do all to the glory of God. So it says, you know, don't let any man judge you in what you eat or what you drink. So there were Jews who came into the knowledge of Christ, but they still wanted to remain kosher. Their conscience wouldn't yet let them eat things that were considered unclean before. Their conscience wouldn't yet let them drink things that they wouldn't have drank before. So he says, don't let any man judge you. If your heart says, oh, I have to go to church, listen to your heart. Until you are convinced that it's not an obligation, let your heart be at ease. He wants you to always be in rest and relationship because what he'll do is he'll bring the, the correct understanding so that if you can't be in church, you're not beating yourself up. He doesn't want us beating ourselves up. He says, I have an opportunity for the body of Christ. I have date night for you. That's what church is. Husbands and wives say, oh, we need date night. <laughs> we need to get away from these children. <laughs> we need to get alone and just be us, be grown-ups, not moms and dads. That's what church is for, for God. It's date night. It's an opportunity for rest and relationship, for encouragement, for building us up, for telling us it is going to be okay. You're doing a good job. It's okay. I'm going to strengthen you. You're going to be able to see yourself accomplishing all the things that I have for you. That's his idea of what church is. So we don't have to keep a special day as a requirement of our fidelity. We live in God's good graces. You see, that's what all of this obligation thinking is trying to get us to do, to get into God's good graces. If I miss church, I'm out of God's good graces. No. It's not our doings that bless us. It's him that blesses us. I know it's, it's kind of hard for, to tell your church, no, you don't actually have to come. <laughs> but the truth is, we get to come. You see, it isn't that we stop doing what we did before. We just do it from a different place. We do it from the place of rest. We do it from the place of relationship. So that if you can't be there, you can't be there. God's not mad. It's you've missed the opportunity. That's all. No reason to get yourself all bent up or worked up. <laughs> There's another opportunity coming. <laughs> Hebrews 4, 9 and 10 says this. So then, there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did for him. The writers of Hebrews says that there is a relationship in Christ that offers a true rest from religious works, a true relationship in relationship with God. Jesus fulfilled the law. That means he fulfilled all of the requirements of the law, even the requirement of Sabbath keeping. Jesus himself is the Sabbath. God's original idea of rest was a way of life 
not a specific day. It was about relationship with him. Jesus is our Sabbath rest. Jesus is our relationship with God. Jesus is our bridegroom, and we are his bride. Jesus is our sanctification, and he is our being set apart unto God and our being made holy and declared clean. We are to the Father everything Jesus is. We are to our Father everything that Jesus is. Jesus represents us to the Father. Is Jesus set apart unto his Father? Is Jesus sanctified? Yes. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> he is set apart unto the Father. He's altogether different than the world. He himself is our sanctification. First Corinthians one thirty says, But of him, God the Father, are ye in Christ Jesus, who was made unto us wisdom from God, righteousness, and sanctification, and redemption. Sanctification is not something we do. Sanctification is Jesus. It's what he has done in us. It is through Jesus that we are set apart unto God, and it is through Jesus that we are sanctified and made holy. Ephesians 4, 22-24 says this, Put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life, and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Here we see it. We have a new us, our spirit man. Not only am I perfectly righteous in my spirit, I am perfectly holy in my spirit. Because holiness means his. That man back there is my husband. He's not available. (laughs) He is totally set apart unto me. I am totally set apart unto him. That's the idea of sanctification. It is something done to you through Christ. Not something we do for God. We talk a lot about being made righteous in this church because we are. We have to be reminded all the time, I am made the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. But we also need to be reminded that we are already the holiness of God. We are already set apart unto him like a bride set apart unto her husband. We have already been sanctified in the Lord Jesus Christ because we became one spirit with him. 1 Corinthians 6.17 says, But he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. And that's where our sanctification takes place, in our spirit. But it's not where it ends. The scripture goes on. That was verse 17. Verse 18 says this, Flee sexual immorality. Now, at first you're like, Do those two thoughts go together? (laughs) He who is joined to the Lord is one spirit. Flee sexual immorality. For every other sin a person commits is outside of his body, but the sexual immoral person sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. What is the thought here? Set apart. My husband's body belongs to me because he's set apart unto me. My body belongs to my husband because we're set apart one to the other. That's the idea. Sanctification and righteousness is in our spirit man. But God doesn't want it to just stay there. (laughs) He doesn't want who we really are to only to be a secret. (laughs) He wants who he is in us to be seen. And he says, I have bought you. This is where the redemption part comes in. I have bought you spirit, soul, and body. I have paid for you, spirit, soul, and body. I have sanctified you. I call your body mine. And that's what he's saying here. It's the idea of the Sabbath being a sign and infidelity. He's telling us here, to be sexually immoral is to be unfaithful to God because your body doesn't belong to you. (laughs) It's his. You're his bride. And we're not supposed to give our bodies away. God bought and paid for all that we are. 1 Corinthians 7, 3 and 4 says this, Let the husband render unto the wife due benevolence, and likewise also the wife unto the husband. The wife hath not power of her own body, but the husband. And likewise also the husband hath not power of his own body, but the wife. He is painting the picture that we all understand. Marriage covenant. We are covenanted to the Lord Jesus Christ. We are his bride. And the reason 
he tells us to stay from sexual immorality is because that will get you. <laughs> you see here, he doesn't say, you're strong, you can handle it. No, he says, run! Run from sexual immorality. It will try to overtake you. It's very strong. It's very powerful. And so he says, don't play with it. Don't poke it with a stick. Don't put it on your phone. Don't put it on your computer. Run! <laughs> run, run, run. It will steal all the good things in your life. That's why he's so adamant about this. Flee, run. It is a lion snake. <laughs> First Thessalonians 4.1 says this. Finally then, brothers, we ask you and urge you in the Lord Jesus Christ that as you receive from us how you ought to walk and to please God, just as you are doing, that you do so more and more. For you know what instructions we gave you through the Lord Jesus Christ. For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality. Here again, he marries the idea of sanctification and sexual immorality. The idea is unfaithfulness. Unfaithfulness will rob you of your rest. <laughs> it won't rob you of your relationship, but it will rob you of your rest. And that club that we all carry in our back pocket, we'll take it out and we'll start using it. And if it isn't us, it'll be the enemy. He will beat your brains out. <laughs> and that's why he says it's so dangerous. Your sanctification includes all of you. He has set us apart entirely unto himself. And he wants us to see that. It's like what Joseph Prince says. Right believing leads to right living. If I have a revelation of the truth, of my righteousness, then I'm not going to choose those things that are unrighteous. It's going to show up in my life without even trying because I have a new revelation of who I am. So it is with holiness. When I get the revelation, my body is Jesus's. It doesn't belong to me. I don't get to treat it however I want. I don't get to feed it whatever I want. <laughs> <laughs> Keep smiling. <laughs> it belongs to him, and he dearly loves me. When I get the revelation that I'm honoring my heavenly husband by how I take care of my body, that's part of the sanctification. You see, I already am sanctified. But when I begin to realize I am his body, it all belongs to him. And out of this place of rest and relationship, this place of love and honor, love honors. I and my husband do not seek ways to offend each other. <laughs> we are always seeking to honor each other, eating each other's preferences and that kind of thing. We don't have arguments. Now, it doesn't mean we don't disagree sometimes. But honor and love says that we never disrespect each other. And so it is with our relationship with the Lord. I am not seeking to offend my heavenly husband. I'm not looking to step on his toes and hurt his feelings. Jesus is a person. He's a person. When we see him, we're going to see he's a person. <laughs> and he has a heart that loves us with, with an everlasting love. The more we realize that, that we are righteous, we are holy, we are his bride, then we seek to honor him in everything that we do. Jesus prayed for your sanctification. Isn't that amazing? The night before he died, he said this, in, it's in John 17, 17. He's talking to the Father. Sanctify them with thy truth. Thy word is truth. Set them apart, Lord. Make them different. As thou hast sent me into the world, even so I have sent them into the world. Now this is interesting. He says, for their sakes I sanctify myself. This is a good place where we can understand. He's not talking about sin. Okay? He's talking about his body being set apart for God. Jesus was sinless. So if being holy was about being sinless, then what was he saying here? He was already sinless. But he's talking about the, that the sanctification in our spirit is also our soul and our body. He says, I sanctify my body so that they might be sanctified through the truth. He didn't get to do what he wanted to do with his body. 
Jesus was willing to go to the cross, but I don't think he was in any hurry. (laughs) He recognized his body was not his own. He was set apart unto the Father. That's how we should think. My body is set apart unto God. It's his. That's what holiness is. His-ness. I belong to him. John 17.20 says, Neither pray I for these alone, but for them also which shall believe on me through their word. That's us. He was praying that we would understand that in him we are set apart unto him, body, soul, and spirit. All of me is his. I can trust him with all of me. That's the point. Sanctification is complete in our spirit. But then he says the sanctification also takes place with the truth. It is as we understand the truth and see the truth and the revelation of truth comes to us that we begin to understand the truth that I am Christ's body. I am his bride. The point I wanted to get to here is actually about getting into the word, about us setting ourselves apart for rest and relationship in this thing we call a Bible. (laughs) Okay, that's what we're supposed to find in here. Rest and relationship. Lots of Christians don't know how to read the Bible. They don't know how to differentiate between the different covenants. So they'll read in there, you know, be ye holy as I am holy, and they think God's going to strike them dead (laughs) because they don't think they're holy. But we are holy. We've been made holy. We've been made sanctified. That's where it starts. But we have to get into this word and find out what the truth is. That's not all God wanted me to talk to you about. He wanted me to talk to you about devotional reading. Because God's idea is that we should always live from a place of rest and relationship. That's what you get when you spend time with God, when you have date night with God. Only God doesn't want to have date night just once a week. He wants rest and relationship with us all of the time, every day. The Word of God is in of itself not alive. Okay, the, the print on the pages here, it's not living. It's just print on pages. But the Spirit within you will bring life to this, and it will talk to you. As a very young Christian, I learned very quickly, this thing talks to me about personal things. I found out really quickly, if you want to hear God, ask Him a question. Because you see, He is always talking, but we don't always understand it. We don't always recognize it, because... We haven't asked the question. So if you go to the Word and you ask out a question, you'll find an answer. I wanted to give you just a brief example. Years ago, there was a point in my life where I had to make a decision. Do I go to school or do I go back to work? Actually, I was sort of leaning towards going back to work. At that time, my first husband uh, had an aversion to working. <laughs> so I thought somebody should really be working. <laughs> so because of the circumstances I was in, I had that choice. I can go back to school or I can go back to work. So I went to the Lord. I said, Lord, rest in relationship. Talk to me. Where do I find my answer? And he said, read Romans 4. So I opened Romans 4 and I read it, the whole thing, all of it. And I was like, I don't see it. I don't see it. Where's the answer? Read it again. Read it again. You see, I'm still a little bit tight and frantic. I'm not in the rest and relationship thing. I'm like, give me an answer, give me an answer, give me an answer. Guess what? You don't hear good. <laughs> when you're trying to strangle the answer out of God, it doesn't work. <laughs> so he's like, slow down and read it again. So I started reading, and he goes, no, go slowly. Read it slowly. (laughs) I have up for you on the screen Romans 4, 3 through 7, actually. Now I'm going to show you this and see if you can see the answer. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. Now to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. And to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, His faith is counted as righteousness. Just as David also speaks the blessing of the one to whom God counts righteousness apart from works. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Did you see the answer? Anybody? (laughs) I didn't either. I'm like, 
I don't see the answer in here, Jesus. <laughs> and he said, read it really, really slow. And when I got to verse 5, it says, and to the one who does not work. And he said, stop! <laughs> oh, don't work, go to school. Okay, I got it. <laughs> now, did that have anything to do with the context of the scripture? No, it didn't. That's not what this passage is about. This is about righteousness by faith and not having to work for it. This is about being in the Sabbath and living in the Sabbath. But that is what the Holy Spirit will do. You'll be spending your ordinary time. Maybe it's 15 minutes. Maybe it's a half hour. But every day, you take that time and you read the Word. And when you ask God questions, all of a sudden, it's going to spring up in the middle of what you're reading. Because Jesus is living. His Word is true. And if you want to hear from him, he says, rest in relationship. Go together. Having time spent with him is where you're going to live out of. Live out of me. Live out of my rest. So that's my challenge for you. If you don't have a time, and I understand some schedules, you can't fit it in there. But in our technological world, <laughs> if there's a will, there's a way <laughs> for you to be hearing God's word. Because even if you can only listen to God's word, it'll speak to you. The Holy Spirit will bring to life that which you need to hear. Because God wants you living according to his leading. But if we never give him the opportunity, if we never take time and say, I'm going to read it even if I don't hear you, even if I don't recognize the answer, I'm going to keep giving you opportunity. No, because this word will wash you will change you even when you don't recognize that's exactly what it's doing. His word is living and it changes us. So the point of all of this is I want you to learn is that you live in the Sabbath. His name is Jesus. You are his bride set apart unto him. You are sanctified. You are made holy. And his favorite thing in the whole world is to have date night with his bride. Amen. Amen. Let me pray for you. Father, I thank you for your word and for your presence and the fact that you are faithful, faithful, faithful. If we seek you, you said we will find you. If we need to hear from you, you said you will speak to us. You never leave us, never forsake us. You will always, always accept us. You have made us holy. You have made us righteous. You have made us your bride. You have made us your own. And we don't have to worry about somehow becoming not your own. You have made us one spirit with you. You are our heavenly husband. We are your heavenly bride. And we thank you, Father, for the truth that you paint in these pictures, that we can understand who we are so that we can walk according to who we are and not what we think we're supposed to do. We thank you, Father, that as we give you place in our lives, you fill that place. When we set aside time with you, you show up because you're faithful. You're faithful. You're faithful. Father, we thank you for your word. I ask that you would imprint it on our hearts, remind us of its truths over and over and over again, that we would celebrate who we are in you and who you are in us. In Jesus' name, amen. <laughs>